We come to the end of Ruth and we are seeing God's great love story unfold before our eyes. And we said that we are going to begin in February looking at God's great love story through the book of Ruth and then see how that plays out as we get into March and see how that plays out in the rest of the Old Testament leading up to Easter Sunday, uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Today I want to speak to you on the message is entitled The Blessed Hope, The Blessed Hope. Here in Ruth chapter 4, we see the picture, a, a snapshot again of God's great love story and what it's all about. You see, God's love story is all about relationship. It's all about how God moved heaven and earth. He did whatever he could to, to step out and have a relationship with us. And the story of Ruth and Boaz, this, this love story of Ruth and Boaz is actually our story. The love story of Ruth and Boaz is the love story that we have with God and God has with us. If you've missed the weeks, I, I encourage you to go online and, and listen to the, 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 the past sermons because what we see here in God's word unfolding is, is a, is an awesome thing because God has poured out his love and we see uh, Ruth and Boaz and, and Elimelech and Naomi and all of these people were real people. Flesh and blood, real people, just like you and I. But then above and beyond that, how they represent each one of us. How, how as we saw last week, Ruth is representative of, of us. And how Boaz is representative of, of Jesus Christ, God himself. How, how that nearer kinsman is representative of, of our flesh. And, and our flesh is what stands before, between us and Christ. Our flesh is what stands between us and our relationship with God. And so we're going to see how this love story now unfolds in this blessed hope. Story of redemption. Story of love. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word, Ruth chapter 4. I'll be reading from the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, but you follow along in your translation as I read from mine. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside, and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and, and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of these who are sitting here, in the presence of these elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you, if you will not, tell me that I may know, for, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the man said, well, I'll redeem it. <laughs> and Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, well, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at this chapter, I pray that you will help us to make everything clean and clear. Lord, this relationship that you desire for us with each one of us. Father, I pray that if we don't have a relationship with you, that Lord, you will speak into our life and that relationship will start today. Father, for those of us who have a relationship, may we hear your word today and may we glean from it as Ruth gleaned out in the field. And Father, may we pick up the parcels that, that we need to hear that we can draw closer and closer to you. We ask this in Christ's name. 
And God's people said, please be seated. Four things that I believe that we see from Ruth chapter 4 to see the blessed hope. Number one, we see the realization of the law. The realization of the law. This is the first uh, six verses, what we just read. Uh, it's the law realized. Now, for those who have not been a part of the study, uh, let me briefly tell you that Boaz was a kinsman to uh, to Ruth. That means that he was of the family of Elimelech. And uh, the Old Testament law says that when a woman's husband dies, a, a kinsman, one of that family, can come along and, and buy the land and, and take uh, his brother's wife as his own wife. Well, we know that Malon and Chilion, they both died. The brothers died in Moab. So there were no brothers that could take Ruth and, and take her on. So, so then the, 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 the onus went on to the, the next nearest redeemer. And so the, the next nearest redeemer... Uh, that they thought was Boaz, but they found this unnamed man here in Ruth 3 and Ruth 4. And so now this man has to be dealt with. They gathered the elders of the city, the ten elders of the city, and they went to the place of, of, of downtown. This is the place where, where business was held. And so they, uh, Boaz in this story, you have Boaz, the nearer kinsman. We don't know his name. History uh, has no idea what his name was. He's nameless in the story. But then, of course, the, the ten elders. The ten elders in this story are representative and illustrative of the Ten Commandments. These ten elders represent the law. Boaz cannot just take Ruth for himself. He cannot skirt the law like that. He has to live in accordance with the commandment. He has to live in accordance with the law of Israel. And so here's the near kinsman, and here's Boaz, and here is Ruth, and the law is against them. The law is a stop sign which says, don't enter. You see, all have broken the commandments of God. All are separated from God and the law. The ten, the ten elders of Israel stand against Boaz and Ruth, stand between Boaz and Ruth. You say, well, that's not fair. That's all right. Boaz loves Ruth. Why can't he just take Ruth for his own? Well, because the law says he can't. The law says there was a nearer kinsman than Boaz. And so, again, these ten elders represent the law, and everything has to go in accordance with the law. So what we find in verse 3 Boaz calls the ten elders, he calls this unnamed nearer kinsman, and they go to the city gates, they go to the city wall, the place where they do business, downtown district. And Boaz says to this man, he said, Naomi, who's come from uh, the country of Moab, she's come and she's looking to sell her land, and, and you are the next in line to redeem it. Now understand, Boaz doesn't want him to redeem it. Boaz doesn't want him to take the land. Boaz does not want him to take Ruth. He, he loves Ruth. He, he wants Ruth for his own. He wants Ruth for his wife. So he's hoping this man doesn't take the deal. He said, and listen, there is no one to redeem it. I'm next after you. And if you're not going to redeem it, just tell me you're not going to redeem it. And the man speaks up and says, I'll redeem it. <laughs> Boaz's heart must have sank. And this man said, I'll do it. But Boaz had another plan, verse 5. Boaz said, well, let me tell you, if you take the land, there's something else you got to take too. You buy the land. Guys, let me go ahead and tell you right now, for the next four minutes, do not amen anything that I say. You will be in trouble, okay? Forewarning you. I'll tell you when you can amen again, all right? So Boaz said, all right, you want the field? 
There's another woman. You got to take her for your wife. (laughs) You want the land? You want the property? You like this deal? You want the purchase? Well, when you buy the land, some strings are attached. You have to marry this woman too. Now, notice how Boaz describes her. Not beautiful Ruth. He said, look at your text. This is what he said. He said, when, when the man said, yeah, I'll do it, look at verse 5. Boaz said, the day you buy the fill from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire. <laughs> it's like you acquire a car or you acquire a house. You acquire Ruth. You acquire Ruth, the Moabite. <laughs> not Ruth the redeemed, not Ruth the follower of Yahweh. Perhaps this kinsman had no idea that Ruth had a heart change and, and she was a follower of Jehovah. Now, maybe, maybe he had no idea, but when Boaz is setting this up, he said, look, you take the land, you also get this woman from Moab. This, 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 uh, the, the land of Moab where the people worship the pagan gods, you get her too. You see what Boaz is doing, right? He's trying to botch this cell. Now you can amen that, guys. He's trying to botch the cell. He wants Ruth. So he's doing what he can to talk this guy out of the deal. (laughs) Notice what next he says. (laughs) The ESV actually translates this in, in a very kind way. It says, the widow of the dead. The Hebrew actually says, the woman of the dead. So Boaz, he's talking to this nearer kinsman. He said, she's a Moabite, and she's also a woman of the dead. She's a zombie. (laughs) She's a walking zombie. She's a woman of the dead. That's literally what what he says. So yes, there are zombies in the Bible mentioned. (laughs) When this kinsman heard this, he said, I can't redeem this. He backed off in a hurry. He said, no way, Jose, I I can't do this. I can't marry that woman. And notice what his reasoning was. Men, do not amen this. Notice what his reasoning was. He said, I will ruin my inheritance. (laughs) This man says, if I get married, Boaz, why didn't you tell me this from the beginning, man? We could have cut out a whole lot of time in our day. If you told me I had to marry this woman to get this land, he said, she would ruin it. She'll spend all my money. Don't amen that. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me. I did not say this. This man said this. This nameless man. That's probably why he's nameless in Scripture, because some woman took him out. (laughs) The point of the first six verses of Ruth chapter 4 is that we see that there's the realization of the law. As, as prestigious, as wealthy as Boaz was, he could not just divert the law. He couldn't just go against the law. There's the realization of the law, which leads us then into point number two, the redemption from the Lord. Verses 7 through 12 tell us about the redemption from the Lord. Look at verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when verse eight, the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. He took off his sandal. Now, what on earth is that about? In redemption in the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, understand the law must be satisfied. 
Remember, we, we just talked about the realization of the law. The law stands against us. The law is a stop sign. The law points out sin. The law says this is sin. This is sin. But listen, you can't, uh, you, you, we, all, we all break the law. We can't help it. And when we break the law, we're culpable for what the law says. The law says you break the law, you deserve death. You can't get it. There is no grace. There is no mercy with the law. The law is the law. You can't skirt the law. You can't live outside the law. It's not like these people who live in a country and, and if you grow weary of the laws of, of a country that you live in, you can just pick up shop and move to another country and, and live under another law that you like. It doesn't work that way with the law of God. You cannot run away from God's law. Nowhere, no, you cannot hide anywhere. You can't run fast enough from the law of God. So what did Boaz do? Well, Boaz did what Jesus has done for us. He became a redeemer. He had to be willing. The nameless man here, the one that was closer to uh, Ruth, who was supposed to redeem her, was unwilling. He was unwilling to do it. He wasn't willing to redeem. Now, what does that remind you of in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who's our redeemer? We ask, is, is he willing to redeem us? The answer is an absolute yes. Jesus is willing. You see, God, when he saw our sin-sick world, when, when God saw the hopeless condition that, that mankind was in, he came down. He descended into this earth. He was born through the portals of a virgin's womb. He, he became a man, and he was willing to redeem us. He was willing as a royal redeemer to come and to be laid in a manger, to be our nearer kinsman in order to redeem us. He was willing. You see, we're not worthy to redeem ourselves. Remember in the story, the, the unnamed kinsman in the story of Ruth, that's our flesh, remember? Boaz is the picture of Jesus. The flesh says, or the nearer kinsman, the unnamed man in the text, he says, I, I'm not able to redeem Ruth. I'm not able to redeem mankind. And in the same way, our flesh must say, I cannot redeem this person. I, I cannot do enough good to get into a relationship with God. My flesh, your flesh cannot, is not worthy, is not able, is not willing. We cannot save ourselves. We, we must have a redeemer. Now there was a strange practice that occurred in, in this time that, that Ruth lived, in the time of the judges. A way to practice of, of the sealing of documents and official business of these days. It's recorded in verses 7 and 8. We just read it. You see, when a, when a redeemer was unwilling to redeem or to transact the business, it was the custom of the man who was unwilling to do it to take off his sandal and give it to the man who was willing to redeem. The man who was willing to redeem would take off his sandal and give it to the man who was unwilling to redeem. So you see what happens. There's a swapping of shoes. That's kind of weird, isn't it? They took off their shoes and they swapped their shoes back and forth. This was the sign of the willingness of, of that man. Listen, this was the willingness. The purpose of this, the symbolism in this, is the man who was unwilling would take off his shoe and hand it to the man that was willing, symbolically saying the man that is willing is now standing in the shoes of the one who was unwilling. Are you following me? Are you following me? Now, can you think of a more vivid illustration of what Jesus Christ has done for us? 
He looked down, he saw this sin-sick world and God, eternal God, eternal Jesus, in the luxuries of heaven, angels upon angels fall at his feet and worship him all of eternity. And he took on the shoes of man. He left the glories of heaven and became man. He, he took our shoes. Why? So he could remove his shoe and hand it to us. So we no longer have to stand in our flesh. We no longer have to stand in our sin. We no longer have to stand in our destiny before Christ is eternal hell separated from God. Now Jesus, what he did on the cross and the empty tomb, he said, here, take my shoe, stand in my shoes, stand in my redemption shoes. Let me exchange with you. The law was satisfied. Love is magnified. Look at verse 10. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Why does Boaz do this? He does this. He magnifies Ruth. He, he personalizes his love for Ruth. He, he stands as a witness. The Bible says I, he stood as a witness that day and said, I have redeemed Ruth. Remember what the word redemption means. It means to purchase back. He purchased back Ruth. And that's exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And not only, not only does he magnify his love, but he also personalizes his love. You can say John 3.16 and personalize that. For God so loved Wesley Baldwin that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved, and place your name there. You see, it's a personal love. It's a personal love. Boaz said, Ruth is my own. God has said, you are my own. Look at verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you and this young woman. What happens to salvation? What we just read in verses 11 and 12 is what happens in salvation. What, what was the, what's the purpose of mentioning, uh, Leah and Rachel here? Leah and Rachel are two women in the Old Testament who had a problem with becoming pregnant. Their, their womb was barren. And the point of them saying this here, the point of, of this being recorded in this way is that God takes those who are barren, those who are fruitless, those who are empty, people like you and me and Ruth, and he begins to multiply their lives. He redeems that. Now, he's not talking just physically here. He's talking spiritually. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. Friend, God takes the barren. Maybe you're here today and you're empty. Maybe you're barren. Maybe you're void of life. Maybe maybe you feel fruitless and unproductive. God can take that and God will redeem that. I'll never forget when I was saved. I was a 17-year-old young man, a 17-year-old high school student. 
walking through life with a void in my heart, a massive void, a huge hole in my heart, knowing that I was trying to fill that with worldly pleasures, trying to fill that with people, trying to fill that with constantly doing and this and that and this and that. And I could never find anything that would fill that void. I always was struggling to put more and more and more trying to fill that void. That was my flesh trying to redeem myself. That's the point. Your flesh cannot redeem. You must have a redeemer to step in. And the only one, listen to me, the only one that can fill that void that you're finding in your heart, you cannot fill it. You cannot fill it with affairs. You cannot fill it uh, with, with lustful desires. You cannot fill it with trying to get more money. You cannot fill it uh, trying to get more fame. You cannot fill it apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only one that will fill the void in your heart. Then he says, number three, not only is there a realization of the law, Not only was there the redemption from the Lord, but number three, there is a restoration of what was lost. Verses 13 and 17. Notice in verse 14, he said, may you be famous in Bethlehem. And my prayer for each one of us here today is that God would write this scripture over our lives this morning. May God make our witness and and our testimony a testimony of faith that, that will glorify God, that he will be glorified. Because you see, in redemption, the law is satisfied. Love is is magnified. The love of Jesus is glorified. Ruth is redeemed. She's made a, a, a member of the family of God. She's restored. Oh, remember her, her mother-in-law, Naomi? Sweet Naomi. Naomi, who followed her husband and her sons into the land of Moab, and they're in living for 10 years, living in a decade in a foreign land. Her her husband and her two sons die. She decides to return back to Bethlehem. And remember what the people said when they saw her return to Bethlehem? As she was walking back into Bethlehem, life had been hard on her in Moab. Long face, hardships galore. These people began to rub their eyes. They said, is, is that Naomi? Is, is this the, the wife of Elimelech? Is, is that Naomi? And Naomi said, don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She had become bitter. In those 10 years apart from the Lord, in those 10 years in the wilderness, in those 10 years outside of the will of God, she had become bitter. Naomi was restored. Look at verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, notice they're talking to Naomi here, not Ruth. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you, Naomi, without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child. A child was born. Naomi took the child, laid her on her lap. Here's a woman who never thought she would have grandbabies. A woman who said, my sons are dead. 
I'm too old to marry. I'm too old to have another child. I, I cannot. And so she's bitter. But yet notice what God did. God restored to her what the world stole. I'll be a nourisher to you. I'll be a restorer to you. The message here is to some hurting, broken Christian today. Someone who's been beaten up in life, beaten along uh, the highway of life, and you've come home to Christ. Return to your faith. Return to Him and He will restore you. He will nourish you. He will be in abundance to you. Finally, there is the redirection of life. Verses 18 through 22. Oh, the difference a baby makes. A baby is born and life is transformed. In this case, in Bethlehem, Ruth and Boaz had a son. They named him Obed. He became the grandfather of King David. And it's, of course, through the lineage of David where we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself. It all happened. It all happened because Ruth chose to follow the Lord. Now, was she beaten up in life? You better believe she was beaten up. Did she have a hard life? You better believe she had a hard life. She had a death of a spouse. She was widowed at a young age. She went to a land that she didn't know. And and here she is. And understand this. Ruth never read the book of Ruth. (laughs) Ruth never read the, the verses 18 and following. Ruth didn't live this side of the cross and have the genealogy that's found in in Matthew and the genealogy found in Luke that we can trace and we can see from Obed. Obed beget Jesse and Jesse beget David and then see the line from David through Solomon all the way down to Christ himself. She had no idea when she was gleaning in those fields, picking up the leftovers. Little did she know what God had in store for her even after she was long gone. Now I want you to look. I want everyone to look at the screens. I want you to look at these four points. If you were ever asked to give a... a, uh, what are the four points of Ruth chapter 4? This this is the theme. This is the storyline of Ruth 4. This is the, the movements, the scenes of Ruth 4. But as you look at those, do you see something that there's a deeper meaning in these four points? Not only, not only are they the scenes of Ruth 4, but they are also our story. Not only is it the story of Ruth, but it's our story. Look in your Bible at Romans chapter 3, verse 19. I want you to see the realization of the law as described in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You see that? The whole world is held accountable to God by the law. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Leave that verse up there, guys, if you don't mind. 
Notice that last phrase. It's through the law where we get knowledge of sin. What does this part of the Bible tell us? What's called the Old Testament. Does this provide us hope? Does this give us any kind of hope at all? No, all this does, the law, all the law does is tell us that we've broken the law. It tells us right and wrong. It's black and white. There is no grace. There is no mercy. And the Bible says that through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, if you came in today and you had no idea you're a sinner, well, newsflash, you're a sinner. The law says you are. You say, well, I thought the law, the the Ten Commandments is the law. I've never murdered anyone. Well, maybe you've never murdered anyone. But I I would guarantee you, I want to see a show of hands. We're going to do a test here. You're scared now, aren't you? Which one of the commandments is he going to mention here? How many have ever bore false witness? That means you've lied. Raise your hand. If you, I'll raise my hand. If you're not raising your hand, you need to raise it now because you're lying. We've all lied. Now, imagine the Ten Commandments. Imagine the Ten Commandments as a, a metal chain, a metal link chain. And you're hanging over a cliff for some reason. Let's pretend, and in my little scenario here, you're hanging over a cliff. And you're holding on to this chain, and this chain is saving your life. There's ten links, ten metal links, and it's holding you up. Now, you just admitted to me that you broke one of the commandments of God. So now we're going to have to replace one of those ten metal links with a paper link. How many feel safe about dangling over that cliff with, now listen, you've got nine good links. You've got nine of them, they're good. Only one of them's paper. How many feel safe about hanging over that that cliff? You break one of them, you break all of them. Jesus said it this way. He said, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But Jesus said, I say unto you that if you have hated a man in your heart, you've already committed murder. Jesus said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not sleep with a woman or a man who's not your spouse. But Jesus said, I say unto you that if you have ever lusted after a woman in your own heart, you've already committed adultery. You see, the, the, the Bible tells us that we're sinners. The law, the law gives knowledge of sin. There's the realization of the law. You can move to, to some backwoods place in, in nowhere mountains of Tennessee and try to run from God all you want to, but you cannot run away from His law. You cannot run away from the realization that you're a sinner, that the Bible says you're a sinner. You can move citizenship. You can move country. You can get on a space rocket and go to Mars. You're still a sinner. Nowhere can you go. There's the realization. Let's go back to our points, guys. There's the realization. There's the realization of the law. But thanks be to God, he didn't just leave us there. We don't just have this part of the Bible. We have what's called the New Testament, the Grace Testament. The law is the Old Testament. Grace is the New Testament. And so we see the redemption from the Lord. Notice what uh, Colossians 2.13 says, And you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Remember Ruth 4. The flesh was that nearer kinsman. And what Colossians is saying is that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That, that you and your flesh, you, your flesh was trying to redeem you. You're, you were living according with your flesh and, and your flesh cannot redeem. Your, your flesh is only trying to fill this void and this flesh cannot fill that void of life. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He says, by canceling out our sin debt. You know what that means? It means that at one point in my life, and perhaps you're here today, and you are under the understanding that you are a sinner. And you're standing as Boaz stood at the city gates. The ten elders are between you and the nearer kinsman, your flesh. Your flesh is standing here. The ten uh, commandments or the ten elders or the law is here, and Christ is here. You have a choice to make. Colossians 2 tells us that it is through our trespasses that we have racked up a debt. We have racked up a debt. Every time you sin, you are racking up a debt. And if you could not pay, I don't have any money in here, but if I were to have a boatload of $100 bills in my wallet, I could pull every single one of them out and I can give them away all I want to, but that does not cancel my sin debt. My sin debt requires a payment of blood. And not just any blood, but the perfect blood of a lamb. The spotless lamb of God. Colossians tells us that it was through Christ. That it was through Jesus. Notice, he said it was through Jesus. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Triumphing over them. You know what that means? That means God loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you are, that he provides a way out for you, that he has come, he has, took, he has taken on flesh, he has put on the shoes of man, and he is standing right here, right now, and he is offering you his shoes in replacement of your shoes. He's saying, if you will take this, If you will take this sandal, I will take yours. If you take my righteousness, I will take your punishment. If you take my mercy, I will take your hell. If you take my grace, I will take your death. The redemption of the Savior. The restoration, number three. Let's go and let's look at the the, the points again, guys. Number four, or number three, the restoration of what was lost. 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When you come to know Christ, when you ask him to come into your life, that void is filled. Now let me speak to the Christians for just a moment. Christian, Jesus told a story. It was the story of the prodigal son. We get that story out of context quite often. We talk about the prodigal son as a lost person coming to salvation. That's wrong. The prodigal son is not about a lost person coming to the Lord. It's about a saved person returning back to the Lord. The prodigal son, if you don't know the story, there was a rich man. And again, it's symbolic of God and us. 
a rich man, and his son said, I want my inheritance. I'm going away. And, and the man, the, the, the son, he took his inheritance. He went into a far country, and he, he lived it up. And, and, and he came to the end of himself, and he said, I, I can't keep doing this. I would, I, would be, I, I would be better off as a slave in my father's house than, than where I am right now. And so the Bible says, Jesus is telling the story. He said, this young man begins to return back from the far country, and the father was watching. The father had been watching every day for years since his son left. He kept watching and watching and watching. And all of a sudden, he sees that silhouette of his son come over the mountain. And the Bible says that that father took off and began to run to his son. He embraced his son. And he said, I want you to go get not just any kind of coat, but I want you to get the best coat and put around him. I want you to get not only just any kind of ring, but I want you to get the best rings and put on him. I want you to go kill a calf, not just any calf, but the, the, the best calf, the fatted calf. Because you see, we're going to have a celebration. My son who was lost has now come home. Christian, listen. You can lose your way too. High school students, it's so easy to get caught up in the the things of this world, to get sidetracked with the things of this world to get lost in the things of this world. And what happens oftentimes with Christians is that we get to the point to where we say, okay, I, I am, I have moved so far away from where I know that I should be. And you've, you've come to the place where you say, okay, I've asked for forgiveness and I believe that God has forgiven me. And you don't struggle so much with that, but you struggle with a harder thing sometimes. That's forgiving yourself. If you cannot forgive yourself, then you're still living in sin. You know why? Because you're ultimately saying that God really can't forgive you of your sin. So you hold on to it. Why would you hold on to something that God has already let go of? Think about that. Christian, you have gone away in a far country, and God is saying, come home. And when you come home, you're going to be restored. Maybe you've been living this this ulterior lifestyle outside of church and you're somebody else. Come home, run back to Christ, and, and he will restore you. Ruth was restored. Naomi was restored. And then number four, and finally, we see the redirection of life. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it's written, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard. The heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Friend, you're walking through a storm. Maybe you find yourself in a situation of life and you never imagined that you would be where you are. And you're trying to make sense of this. You're trying to understand this. And you say, I don't, I don't understand what in the world is going on. Well, you know what? You may never. Ruth had no idea. Ruth had no idea when she was in the land of Moab what God was going to do through her life. And what we see through this one woman, I believe that we can see in our own walk, and we see it over and over and over again in Scripture. We'll see it again next week. That when a man or a woman, a a student or a child, when we are completely sold out to the things of God, when we're sold out to the things of Christ, even when, when, when high waters come, when hell comes, when storms come, when we're sold out to Christ, we may not see what God is doing through that storm. You may not see it in your lifetime. You may have no idea what God is doing and why he's allowing this storm to function. Sometimes he allows us to see it. 
Sometimes he allows us to see why we're going through this pain and why we're going through this suffering. But oftentimes, what we're investing in today is to provide a legacy for tomorrow. The direction that you had in life, God will provide a complete redirection. Listen, this is why I say the youngest of young and the oldest of old, listen, God's not finished with you. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And when you invest in the things of God here, you may not ever see the fruit. You may never see the tree bear fruit. But listen to what happened with Ruth. Look at the story of Ruth and see how when a person is sold out to God and commits their life to Christ, how he begins to take it and use it and mold it and shape it for his glory.